I'm Tafara Jemian. And I'm Eunice Hong. And I'm Caddy Dia. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah! yeah. We'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studios where we record are situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands that we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land that you live on and the indigenous communities of the area. This week, we're starting our summer read-through series. We did a couple of read-through series last summer, and we sort of planned out a whole schedule for this summer, and then Caddy said, but what if we just read The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants? And we all said, yeah! So we're doing a read-through of The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants by Anne Brashares. Uh, this is a series that sort of got our podcast going. I think talking about Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants is one of the first conversations Bailey and I had about Young Adult Lit. We reviewed it way back, but it was just the two of us. Eunice and Caddy were not in on that. So we're going to try it again and talk about this classic YA series that I think got a lot of, at least a lot of our generation started on young adult books. So before we get into the review of the book itself, um, I thought we could have a little chat about this series and like what it means to each of us, how we first found it. I think I started reading these books basically when they came out. Like I think I read them as they came out. And I don't remember the first time I read them. I remember that they were definitely like summer reading books for me. And they were definitely books that I took out of the library like again and again and again and read the pants off of. Uh. And there was just something about them that like drew me into their social circle. I think that I sort of tried to emulate the friendship of the sisterhood a lot of the time, like maybe overly dogmatically at times, but like there was just such a connection to this world and to this friendship and this like obsession with trying to recreate the dynamics um, all through my teens and reading it again. I was like revisiting all of that alongside revisiting the story and the characters. That's cool. I um I was introduced to them when I was I was already in Sejep. I was probably almost in university cuz I uh, so the book came out in 2001, which is the year I graduated high school. So it was very much like, so I was starting Sejep and I was discovering young adult fiction. And um, the movie came out in, I think, 2000, 2005. So by then I was working in summer camps a lot and I kept seeing all my nerd kids were reading it. So I was like, well, if it's good enough for a 13 year old, I should check it out. And then there was a movie coming out. And in 2005, like, this was a cool movie. Like, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. Like, this was, like, very, like, young female empowerment and this and that. And I don't know, it spoke to me uh, in the most white feminist way. And then uh, I jumped into the books. And it was fun. It was right around the time, yeah, right around the time uh, the series that should not be named 
finished and uh this one kind of jumped in yeah i don't know when the first time i read these books um i think i really liked them because i mean as i was doing my reread this time around um i noticed that it had elements of books that i'd read in the past like um the thing with the letters like was kind of similar like and the friendships was very similar to like babysitters club which like i loved as a kid um and then there's like just the fun like summer summery read um kind of aspect to it and yes the friendships between the girls the romances and the books it's just like kind of like kryptonite for me so I yeah I think it also probably informed a lot of like what I ended up reading in YA after that as well um so I don't know if I read them like right as they came out because that seems a little early for me um but I think like by the time the movies were out I would say that was probably the timeline. And I hadn't read, re- I haven't reread um, re- them since I think probably when the newest, like one where there were adults, I think I might have done a reread then. But since then, I haven't really reread any of them. So it was an interesting time. <laughs> Let oh. me just say. And uh, <laughs> uh I'm ready to not like hold anything back. So, oh, goody. <laughs> okay. Yeah, honestly, I've reread them so many times that I feel like I have become sort of accustomed to the problematic elements that I just sort of forgive because these books give me feels. But I am also pretty ready to get uh, fairly no holds barred about a few elements of this. Um, series of this book. Okay, so I am too, and here's the exciting part. Uh, I originally read the series in English, um, and this time I have found the books in a used bookstore in French. <gasps> so I'm doing a reread in a whole other language. Wow! And it's it's interesting. That's so fun. I'm so excited to hear about that. So let's dive in. But before we dive in, I feel like I need to make an honorable mention to something I tweeted about from our account, which Eunice brought up the last time we recorded uh, off mic, which is that the first book came out, the book we read this week, came out on September 11, 2001. And I have to say, I think it's pretty impressive that this book made the splash it did, considering that it came out on September 11th, 2001. Like, there was no advertising in the United States for like a month after September 11th. Um, So I think that's, that there, it has a power, this book, for all of the flaws that I'm sure we're going to dissect in great detail. Um, it has an emotional sway and it has had a really significant impact on the genre. So who wants to start digging in? Maybe let's uh, maybe let's gloss over the story. So it's a story of four friends. Um, I love their names because they're so silly. Um, Lena, uh, Tibby, my favorite, um, B, or also known as Bridget and uh, Carmen. So uh, four friends who have been best friends since before they were even born. Um, And 
it's such a it's so cheesy and I love it and it's like the first summer that they don't spend together and so they find this pair of jeans that magically fits their four very different body shapes um, magical magical pants and then those pants that have rules so those these pants get passed around everyone but it's like the shortest summer of anyone's life because uh, it made me wonder if people in the United States only get one month of vacation um, so yeah so for for four to six weeks these pants travel around between these friends as they come of age and blossom into womanhood because they're 17 going on 18 that's about it I mean I believe they're actually 15 15 going 15 yeah. going on 16. Yeah. Bridget's not even 16 in this book. I mean, uh, all, of them, me, all of them have... That makes me feel even worse. All of, them <laughs> have, all of them have birthdays in, like, August to September. Like, that's, like, their thing. I think they're... So they're... Yeah. Gross. Um, yeah. Sorry, uh, that's just me who uh, was watching uh, parts of the movie right before uh, yeah. we started recording. Yeah. So, great. 15, 16, uh, yes, on the cusp of womanhood. But it's like this really cute thing where, like, listen, Lena goes to Santorini. Um, Santorini, that is apparently a village in 1940s Greece, um, and not at all, like, a travel hub and a really hot destination. Like, even in 2001, Santorini was quite cool. Like, you could go on a Contiki tour and definitely stop there and hang out for a couple of days. So, like... Come on, it's true. And then there's like Bridget, who's like going to Mexico to girls' soccer camp, uh, where she meets uh, what's his name, Eric, I think. Eric? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Eric, and uh, he is a soccer coach, so like forbidden love. And then there's like the will they have sex? Won't they have sex? Is she ready to have sex? She's too immature. But her mother died, so, so like, but during the year beforehand, so it's kind of that thing where you're like. Is she using sex as a tool for grief? And is she trying to become the woman that the mother left a whole woman-sized hole? I got lost in my own head. I'm so sorry. I think what you're saying here is that there's a lot of issues built into this book. Teenagers and issues. Hmm. I was like, where am I going? What am I trying to pull out of this? Where am I going? So uh, I want to start by saying, do you know how I know a white woman wrote this <laughs> I think I know where we're going with this because I think I took a note of this. Um, There's a lot. Of, I, I, yeah, like the friendship, like the girl power, like... You know, all of that, I think, was just so, I don't know, like, just, like, over the top, like, on the head, like, too on the on the nose. Like, it was just so much. And I don't know if this was also kind of, like, the era that it was written, but, like, for some reason, I was like, was 2000s just the era of, like, white feminism and no other feminism? Like, Yes. I mean... <laughs> I just, I was like, what? How, how do you, how? <laughs> These are the Bridget Jones years, the, the Carrie yeah, Bradshaw uh-huh. years, yeah. the, the L word, that was your queer representation, that was about it. And then, like, it, it is peak 
white feminism and it's like white feminism in like a boot cut white pair of jeans with a I mean. crop top made out of fun fur and it, it's it's wildly wildly like toxic positivity yeah like very girl power like 2001 the spice girls were still touring mm. like it, it's yeah. it's we are still in this like Candyland boy band mm -hmm. like everything is bubblegum pink women can have it all girl power like it's yeah. it's such a moment and like this is the moment in which I was a teenager and mm. yeah. like oh, 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 to be sixteen years old seventeen years old in two thousand and one was an adventure. Like yeah. it's it's just this toxic femininity. It's very like you must be all the things. You must have it all, mm -hmm. and I everyone mean, will love you. Yeah, and I mean the uh, the amount of times they were so focused on like appearance, like everything was like so much about like pointing out how people looked. That I was like, this is just absurd. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, and like not and not even just like body positivity, like body stuff like this is it, it was more like just like the appearance of people mm -hmm. like that was like the thing that really stuck out to me um, and just yeah and 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 anything everything from just like the quotes that were like after each of the chapters uh -huh. and like just just <laughs> everything about it it was just like this is of its time and it did not age well <laughs> my very first note was oh it opens with not all who wander are lost we are in 2001 <laughs> truly 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 a book of its era and actually something i also noticed that like everybody has talked about in, in terms of their looks and like we have like a tiny like effort at acknowledging body diversity but ultimately all these girls can wear the same pair of pants so mm -hmm. like it's like within a size six you can have a larger butt or a smaller butt um something <laughs> something i've definitely noticed in the last like 10 years over the development of ya lit is that um we have moved away from describing everybody in excruciating detail. So mm -hmm. like the books from this era, and it's not just this series, like I'm noticing it in this series because we're rereading it, but like the books of this era, I remember reading them and it would be like, this person is too skinny. This person is too fat. This person is just the right amount of skinny, but oh no, her cheeks are a little bit puffy. Like, and I mean, talking about the like, the white feminism and the like girl power, like absolutely there's the sense of girl power and solidarity as long as you like her. And mm. the minute that you dislike another girl or another woman, it's tearing her down, tearing down her appearance. And I do think Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants engages with that. I don't think it just does it mindlessly. But the fact remains that if one of them does not like someone, the first thing they do is go, oh, and she's ugly. And that is yes. like very, very, very much a marker of its time. And uh, yeah, being so I was, I guess I was 10. No, I was 12 when. How old am I? <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was 10 in 2001. So mm -hmm. I probably started reading these in like 2003. 
I'm sorry, that was a brief moment of it has been 20 years since 2001. That was what just happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like being being a young teenager during this era, I, I find it really interesting reading this now because we're starting to see people in their like late 20s and 30s go, holy shit, we grew up in a very, very fucked up time. And that just, that focus on appearance, that focus on not just appearance, but like every minute Mm -hmm. detail of your appearance, Um, even when you're all the same fucking size, is just Mm -hmm. absolutely excruciating to revisit. (laughs) And like a little (laughs) re-traumatizing. Also, the the white supremacy is also painful. Like, can we name that? Like, yes, I think... You know, Carmen Carmen goes to visit her her dad who's engaged to some white woman who has white children. And like like I'm gonna say this, me of all the people, this is how they are described as white people. That's it. That's it. It's like they are perfectly beautiful. They are beautiful, beautiful, golden god, golden goddess, perfectly chiseled, yada. And just because Carmen's half Latin X, like half. We're not even talking like full cappuccino. We are talking clouded milk with a little like droplet. And it is so like, she's supposed to endure so much oppression, but like there is this weird uncomfortableness of her also just being obsessed with everyone's whiteness and everyone's whiteness and every and i was like this she was not written by a person of color yeah yeah because absolutely it's true to white authors all we want is to be white mm-hmm. yeah and it wasn't only that like i mean i think it really like is apparent with Carmen, but even with uh, Lena, yeah, um, like with her being like Greek, it was just like everything. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm not really sure about Ambershire's like um, background at all. I did not do the research, mm-hmm. um, but I was like, I don't think this was written by an immigrant either. <laughs> um, it's just like. Like, they're okay. Yeah, there are things that, like, I identify with as, like, child of an immigrant, but, like, it's just so, so, like, so bastardized, like, and very much, like, just picking out, like, the, like, very, like, I don't know, like, stereotypical things of, like, I was like, yeah, like, sure like a child of immigrants would kind of see themselves in it but like would not be seen you know um and i just it's just like oh boy (laughs) i'm so glad that there is way more representation in ya now than there was back then (laughs) oh how we have grown even with lena and even with the way lena's beauty is described comes back to the white supremacist ideals of beauty again because why is Lena beautiful and Effie isn't because Effie has the Caligaris nose and mm-hmm. that like but also true like right why does Lena pass in in white supremacist beauty ideals because she doesn't have the big honking nose that her family has um, and like 
she's white <laughs> but uh but yeah she's I feel like it's also implied that she's like thin in a way that Effie isn't like mm-hmm. there's very much I identify very strongly with Effie as a character I've, I really really like her and I feel very strongly and I did like even on my first read through of like mm-hmm. somebody with no chill somebody who really likes boys somebody with like a big nose like I just was like yes which I mean my nose is not that big but as a teenager I really really felt like it was um, <laughs> yeah yeah and like the I feel like there. Do I it. feel like Do we it. need to Do talk it. about the way Lena's beauty is fetishized in a really, mm. really fucking weird way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah, and mm-hmm. like yes. it was something I don't know. I don't. This was like something my family did as well. My extended family would be like oh beautiful like that was like what they used for me and it was mm-hmm. always very uncomfortable and so like because it's weird to have adults making a big fucking deal about a child being attracted like like it's mm-hmm. one thing when it's a beautiful baby but when there's like and especially because Lena is an artist and like mm-hmm. is a very very talented artist <clears throat> and the only thing people around her can talk about is how she's beautiful and then, of course, she also has big feet because she has to have a flaw to keep her grounded, right? And she doesn't dress well. And, like, the, the it's not for her. This is something that was really striking me on this read-through is Lena is beautiful, but Lena doesn't enjoy her beauty. We don't get to see Lena going, like, yeah, I look good. Like, we don't get to see Lena owning the power of her sexuality. We don't get to see her enjoying her beauty. And so it feels as though her beauty is something that is put on her by society. Mm-hmm. It's a burden. And it is. that just makes it so icky to read for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially once Costas comes into play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I was, nope, not into it. The mm-hmm. predatory kind of like ooh, like kind of schmaltzy guy who's just like let me love you he's not bad but i was just like this old man is like i know that he's supposed to be like 19 or something but like he's written like a 30 year old so it's kind of gross i don't know i don't know yeah there's there's something overly mature about him that makes me uncomfortable all both of the love interests, boy, yeah. both of the boy love interests are nineteen mm-hmm. with fifteen year olds. Yeah, gross. Which I don't know. I dated a nineteen year old when I was like fourteen, almost fifteen. I feel like largely due to the influence of a bunch of YA books being like, "This is totally fine and normal," mm-hmm. and it yeah. wasn't. Um, <laughs> Problematic. And like, okay, this is the other thing. It's like, I want to just enjoy these books. I enjoy mm-hmm. both the Lena and Costa storyline and the B and Eric storyline later when they are grown. Yeah. But it's so icky and there is so much putting the responsibility of men's sexuality on teenage girls' bodies. Mm-hmm. And I know that that is just what happened in that era. I mean, like, we're talking about Britney mm-hmm. Spears this week, right? Like, yeah. But it's... It's so gross to revisit. 
So, I mean, I think it's one thing, like, I think it is the era that it was written, but I also think, like, the way the book is written almost is, like, kind of not YA. Like, we wouldn't consider it YA anymore, I feel like. Mm. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but, like, everything from, like, the dialogue to, like, the way that, like, even the use of third person um path mm-hmm. like that's kind of not YA anymore almost like the way that YA is written um it just it almost feels like women's fic to me mm. um in the way that is written they just happen to be in high school um and I was like I almost was wondering like the way that they talk even everyone sounds super precocious like for their age and i don't know if that was just like w- how like teenagers were written back then yeah. um and so like i just didn't like revisiting it now um i was just like did that is that how teenagers talked like actually talked or was that how grown-ups wrote teenagers it is it is how grown-ups wrote teenagers i think the best example to illustrate that is dawson's creek um dawson's creek is the perfect example for that it's it's overly uh overly like highly developed english vocabulary like people using like four syllable words kind of whimsically and like randomly and 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 it's it's really class wars like it really is like showing off like the 90s is you know it's everything before the world ended right so it's it's so that it's this like we're becoming rich and the nouveau riche and the poor are getting really poor and hey things are not going well at all we're getting out of really bad recessions things like that like and and it's just this expectation that like teenagers go from being children to speaking like adults overnight and they 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 like love their dictionaries like the the thesaurus is ooh that's really hard to say the thesaurus is is supposed to be their best friend mm-hmm. and yeah. while they're also supposed to be sowing their wild oats and mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. that so, yeah, yeah. Well, And this was also the era of the gifted child, right? Like, it wasn't just this pressure to be precocious. It wasn't just this pressure to be, like, sexually precocious but not too precocious and, like, Mm -hmm. satisfy adult men's fetishes but also not have sex. Um, But it was also this pressure to perform hustle culture at an adult level. And I think it, it... yeah we did have characters written aspirationally because teen Mm -hmm. culture was entirely aspirational like what Mm -hmm. teenagers were hearing from the time you were like 12 13 was like adult responsibilities you are in charge of everything i think it's really good that our generation is now as adults starting to go wow that fucked us all up let's not do it um and like it, it you know primed us for the revolution but like it's really something to revisit yeah. it as an adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I'm very glad that we're now in a place where we've decided to acknowledge that teenagers are children. Yeah. 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 I just like think that some of the things that the characters were thinking, saying, doing were just like not developmentally appropriate and just was like, wow, like that 
is not great representation, like, or not great um, thing to hand to your 13-year-old child and is like, hey, read this. <laughs> um, like, like you were saying, Tuffer, I mean, like, you, like, kind of internalized all of these things, and I'm sure, like, I did, too, and um, we all did, because we kind of grew up with this being, like, the narrative, yeah. so yikes <laughs> and also the incredible amount of irresponsible parents can we talk about that what like, parents what parents yeah. they these 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 young folks take care of themselves and their siblings and their parents are just like i had children so they can take care of one another and that's it kind of like this immature this insensitivity it's not immaturity it really is insensitivity and hyper capitalist type parents who just mm -hmm. want to live for themselves and i find it really interesting because this was written by adults and i'm like these boomers are also still really salty about their parents but they're also writing themselves into this and ooh, like that's mm -hmm. quite dreadful mm -hmm. um yeah this there, there there's this immense pressure on these these characters to just be the adult in every situation and for them to step up and say the thing for them to oh it's the world yeah. sucks and they are the most mature i had this moment when bailey's mom talks to tibby when bailey has gone into the hospital and she's like oh i just want to prepare you and i also want you to know how much we appreciate what you've done for bailey the last two months and i was just like why are you talking to her now like you know that your daughter is not telling her friend the whole truth. You know that this 15-year-old is not prepared to carry this. Why have you not been talking to her parents? Why have you not been talking to her? Why have you not been reaching out and, like, supervising mm -hmm. the time your 12-year-old daughter with cancer spends with her? And I got, like, I've gotten, of course, I've gotten really mad at Carmen's parents reading this. I've gotten really mad at yeah. B's, oh B's dad. And B's dad does get a reckoning later. But, like... Yes, once... Be oh, anyways, we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> it, it comes, but first, mm -hmm. there's a fun storyline where B is in trouble because she gets a little fat. Um, <coughs> tune in next week. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, <laughs> because she had sex, so that made her depressed. There you go. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sex yeah. is depressing. Yep. It, it's yeah. her punishment for having sex outside yeah. of marriage. Yep. Okay. How dare you? I like, man, I went into this with some positive feelings because I have a lot of nostalgia for these books. But like, yeah, can we talk about the like, I mean, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about sexuality in this series. But B's um, storyline, I think, makes me angrier than any of the other storylines. Yeah. 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 <laughs> where yeah. was the adult who was like hey let's maybe get her to see a shrink yeah let's like let's yeah. let's take her to therapy like mm -hmm. no this kid's mom just died okay well she'll play soccer and it'll figure itself her out mother, she doesn't oh, have feelings her mother died of depression that is something yeah. that runs in yes. families oh, yes sorry. yes yeah like mm -hmm. yeah yep. the irresponsibility yeah. the like <clears throat> <laughs> B gets a crush on one of the coaches at her soccer camp. They make yep. sure that he is not the coach of her team, right? Yes. But he's still yeah. a fucking coach. 
coach. And I have feelings, which I think I have voiced before, about putting teenagers in position of authorities over other teenagers. I don't think that should happen Mm -hmm. because it sets you up for this kind of situation. 19-year-olds don't have the frontal lobe development to Mm -mm. intelligently avoid a, a, you know, compromising relationship in which they end up being Mm -hmm. predatory because nobody was supervising them because... Who the fuck is also supervising these 19-year-old coaches who are going yeah. out to a bar every Ooh. night and drinking? Um, yeah. Who runs this game? <laughs> and, like, this is a situation where I'm like, I don't think Eric is predatory necessarily, but I think he acts predatory mm. because nobody is supervising this situation. So it's just a camp full of teenagers acting on their impulses and their hormones with no adults going, no, you really, truly cannot date this camper. Mm-hmm. Even just to the extent of, like, they should know how old their campers are so that yeah. she can't, like, lie about her age. The thing we get with Eric, Eric is, like, so old and sexy and worldly. He's 19. And 19-year-olds, like, I don't know. I have a 20-year-old upstairs neighbor, and he looks like a kid. Like, yeah. so he's still a, coming back to this and reading this not as a 14-year-old, but reading it as a 30-year-old and going, what are these children like, doing? Why yeah. is this child yeah. in a position of authority over this yeah. other child? Um, yeah. Because that is a mess. Now, I don't think 19-year-olds should date 15-year-olds in general. I think that's a bad setup. It's also not legal. Yeah. <laughs> but this is a whole bad setup. This yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But where I was going with that is the narrative we have is Eric keeps saying, we can't do this. Mm-hmm. But he says, it's wrong and I would get fired. And his main mm-hmm. reason is I would get fired. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and- I, I mean, the whole thing is, okay. So another thing that I like <laughs> realize about this is that when they're writing the letters back and forth, yes, it's just kind of a plot device to kind of move the story along. Like, cause you don't want to spend too much time with like, the characters because you want to like no because you want to like go through all four girls right throughout the summer and you know whatever like literary reasons but <laughs> but I think that there's not enough of them like actually talking to each other and this is another thing about like like the whole like feminism girl power thing which is like they're not actually talking to each other about anything like, yes, they are in different locations, but if they're communicating via letter, like, you should be, like, who's telling B, like, don't do this? <laughs> like, right? Like, it's just so passive that it's, like, I'm, there's no way that in a friend group of four girls, one girl's trying to, like, get with her, like, 19-year-old camp counselor, someone isn't gonna be like, huh, maybe you shouldn't do this. And if they're, like, that close friends, like, I feel like that would not happen. Yes, like, like, Bridget may or may not listen to that friend, but, like, there would be a friend, like, if they're as close as, like, they say, like, that would probably bring that up, you know? But I think this, you're bringing up something really important. It's this impression of, like, 
sisterhood, but without any actual friendship going into it. And this is what I find, like having worked with a lot of teens in the in 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 the generation of this readership, like the number of folks who are like, "Well, you're my best friend," but then there's no like actual opening of like my feelings towards you or like sharing any impressions or anything like that. There's no vulnerability. It's just this like stoic friendship of everything is fine until we have a fight and then we apologize the next day and that's fine. And then we just keep moving forward. It's, it's, there's always this, like this, this power dynamic also in the friendships where it's like, well, Bridget is the really beautiful one. Right. And to be is the one with a heart and Lena is the artist. So like Carmen, uh, you know, so Lena's going to go comfort the this and this and this. And it's just these these tropes. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I really think that, like, it's just a book of tropes. Yeah. You know, like it's 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 not flattering at all. And like, to be honest, I don't love any of the characters. <laughs> like none of them, you know, like. Do I relate to some of them? Absolutely. Do I have warm, empathic feelings towards most of these characters? Nah. Nah. Except Lena's grandparents are kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. Yeah, Everyone you almost, else is annoying. You almost like the side characters more just because, like, they're side characters and you don't really get, like, the depth of them. But, you know, like, that's better mm-hmm. <laughs> than the depth that you get from the characters mm-hmm. that actually should like you should be kind of relating to and w- wanting to like want good things for them you know mm-hmm. yeah there is a lot to <laughs> not love <laughs> about this series but I actually want to say that I do care deeply and personally for every single <laughs> one of them <laughs> and I Boo. I mean I think Boo. it's <laughs> I think it's just a side effect of feeling like I grew up with them. Like, I've read these books. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how many times they're a comfort read for me. I, like, see different elements of myself in different ones of them. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. what I was finding reading it this time and being horrified was that it made me feel so much empathy for my teenage self. Because Mm. as a teenager, I was trying so hard to be the protagonist of a YA novel. Like, I just, like, I lived in YA novels. And the way I, you know, uh, dissociated was by just imagining that I was, like, the protagonist. And it led me to make some really, really, really stupid decisions that I now live with. Um, And going back and reading it and being like, okay, okay. We were just living in some really, really fucked up times. Um, Context just sucked. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think what saved me was that I could never be any of these characters. Mm. You know, like the representation (laughs) just wasn't there. Oh, literally. Eunice with the mic drop. It's like, I would have wanted to associate. I, mean, I will totally do the BuzzFeed test of like, which sisterhood, sister are you? But you know what? The first box will be which social, which, which cultural background are you? Oh, wait, not white. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Yes. It's significant that I'm the white one in this conversation who associates with this ca- these characters, right? Like, we'll just say it. I mean, like, it, there was not even, like, a dangling of a carrot of, like, yes, like, you could be any of these girls. So. 
I mean, there is a nice, like, horrifically racist reference to Korean people in, like, the first three oh pages. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the first. No, I think it's, the, like, the second paragraph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, let, yeah, we're not even going to go there because then I could spend another, like, 20 minutes on that. And just, like, actually, there's there was actually a lot of, like, really horrible, like, anti-Asian stuff in the whole, like, book. And I was just like, hmm. Interesting. I definitely internalized that. Yeah, <laughs> for <kidding>. sure. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. It's interesting that the only character I felt I was allowed to relate to is Carmen, because mm-hmm. as the non-white one, and as the as the loud one, and also as the and I'm using very large quotation marks fat one, um, <laughs> like <laughs> um, you know, I was like, okay, well, this is great because I'm like an ugly duckling like her, and um, I can relate to this character because ultimately, at some point in the story someone will figure out that she's actually quite lovely and mm-hmm. queer and like <laughs> I mean come on. yeah uh, she's way too dramatic and loves writing way too much let's be honest let's be honest no Carmen straight is... woman likes, likes writing that much we've been saying this for three years Carmen is gay yes <laughs> oh yes Carmen is like a she's like a she's like a femme like She's like a no. She's like a stage manager femme, like oh. like a cute one, but she always wears black and like she can also <laughs> totally handle a socket wrench. Like she can do whatever needs to be done manually, but she'll look like she'll look super super femme. Hey, yeah. So I agree with all of that, but I also don't want to give Amber Shears any more credit than. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Amber Shears would be comfortable with the queer, be- the queer critical review of her book. <laughs> so you know, like what what she thinks of the oeuvre, uh, and you know, just wait <laughs> until they're all thirty and Carmen is now skinny. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> This is a journey. Well, because that's a life's goal, right? Yeah. Well, you I know, mean, she's a little aspirational. Uncom- yeah. She's like a tiny bit uncomfortable with it, but mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I just want to rip all my hair out. Oh my god, we were gonna do this as like a fun. <laughs> hey, Prepare. no, I'm I'm having fun. <laughs> having fun revisiting this. Yeah. I didn't. So honestly, I really didn't think that I was gonna like point out all of these flaws, like. <laughs> But then I read it and I was like, oh, no, I need uh, this. No, mm, this yeah. is definitely not how I remember this book. Mm-hmm. So I, I just like I couldn't like the more mm-hmm. I kept reading, I was like, oh, boy. It's uh, the cut. The age gaps are just I, j- I know I've said this like four times, but like couldn't Bridget just be at a co-ed soccer camp? No, because no. Her, her her purity must be preserved through the art of soccer. And like, it, 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 you know, like it's just the soccer is where you go to stay pure. So that when Cotillion comes around, you are prepared to be given away to oh a gentleman um, caller by your father. Because think of that a little hard and then you get really uncomfortable um, because, or you develop a daddy fetish but that's a whole other conversation mm-hmm. i hear where you're coming from caddy but soccer is also where you go to find a secret girlfriend who you don't actually admit mm. that you're girlfriends ever and then you have a very confusing few years of being jealous when you both date boys and getting in weird fights mm-hmm. oh my god yes mm-hmm. 
sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, Eunice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a story and so I want it. And I, I'm pretty sure. Hey, listen, folks, if you want to hear the hot goss, uh, follow us on Patreon. And <laughs> if <laughs> you'll have access to the story. If, if we get. Okay, for every new Patreon subscriber that we get during this summer, mm-hmm. I will tell my Patreon supporters an embarrassing high school story. I'll jump into that. I've got a bunch. Okay. But it, it's right. not for, sorry, for existing pledges, it's not for you upping your pledge. It really is new Patreon subscribers at any level. I'm willing to put that out there. <clears throat> and it starts at $1. So that's a very cheap level of embarrassment and I've got some real doozies (laughs) so maybe we'll save the doozies for the big new patrons all right yeah but for a dollar you can get like some mild mid-level embarrassment solid all right (laughs) I will say I am looking forward to reading the whole series and seeing how things Mm -hmm. develop because the series was written from what, like 2001 to like 2005-ish? And I feel like the development of like like going towards maybe we shouldn't be terrible to teenagers was really happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Forever in Blue, the fourth one came yeah. out in 2007. So I'm very curious, and I do feel like Brashares has kind of developed as the culture developed. I'm really curious to see if this is the most problematic book in the series. <laughs> you know there's a theater festival in the next book right i think that's in the third book it's got a really good carmen is gay subplot though yep i think the next one is the bridget gets fat one so oh, that boy. might be the worst Poor one bridget. oh boy oh boy all right well <laughs> Tune in next time. Yeah, that's it. As we continue to book number two of Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, Bridget gets mildly fat. <laughs> um, thanks, <laughs> thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave us feedback, suggest a book, a book for us to read, or if you want to just say hi and tell us that you're reading along, uh, send us an email at theyeahpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Yeah Podcast, and individually, I'm at Teffer Bear. Caddy is at Caddy Double Underscore D, and Eunice is on Instagram at The Unicorn Reads a Book. That's Unicorn with an E. If you like the show and want to want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon and hear those embarrassing stories. Mm-hmm. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patre- pay- <laughs> patreon.com slash yeah podcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons, Catherine Reshi, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, Chantal Thomas, Maddie Dever, Megan Jane, Emily Patton, and Emmett Cameron. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description for this uh, of the episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, by subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Maybe a friend who loved Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants in high school <laughs> but hasn't reread it in 20 years? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. 
Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by Tefra Jemian and edited by Tom Zlatna. Hey, Tom! As part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Bye-bye! I'm Tom Zalatni, host and producer of the No Bad Food Podcast, a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or right here on the Upford Network. On behalf of the Canadian people, welcome to the Game Great Podcast. Gay and Grey Montreal is a new social group for English-speaking gay elders from the 2S LGBTQIA plus communities. So it's a good way to at least connect with people. Members share their experiences, memories, and opinions on our podcast. Welcome to our community. I hope you feel well. I hope you feel accepted. And I hope that you can share anything that you want. This is some of my story. And I hope you enjoy it. Oh, I have a great story. (laughs) 